0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying here with us, I invite you to open your your Bibles are there in your bulletin, Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. Matthew 18:15 through 20. So kind of as we're transitioning here. Last week. Uh, we began a new sermon series for the summer called Housekeeping." And you see it on the your front of your bulletin taking out the theological trash. And as we mentioned, the goal of this series is, is to work through various passages that have often been pried out of their biblical context, misused and misapplied. And some of these, like last week's and I think especially this morning and next week what Josh is going to preach on, have been misquoted and misunderstood so long that what most Christians believe about these verses is actually completely wrong, um, and now you don't want to be you know, that dude that's like, let me just stop you right there and this is how, what, you're, what you really need to be believing. Um, but it's, it's as they said in Nazi Germany that if you tell a lie often enough and long enough, at some point people start believing it. And I think that's what happened within the Christian culture is uh, we've heard these things misquoted and misapplied so much that we just all assume that that's what it means. And so that we would not live by lies but by truth this series is meant to say, all right, look, the buck stops here. Um, and, and so we're going to look at these verses in their context, um, not so that we can look down our noses at all the other people who don't read it like that or who misapplied them, but as we said last week, so that we can better place our lives beneath God's Word and so that we can better claim God's promises as they truly are, okay? Well, as, as misunderstood verses go, this morning we come to a humdinger of a verse. And look, maybe maybe you remember the first time you heard this promise from Scripture. You heard this passage. Maybe somebody prayed it. I remember. I think I was in college, huddled up in this this small group of people, and we were you know praying over the campus. And I remember one person praying something like, "Father, your word tells us that we're two." Or more are gathered together in your name, you are there. And and I I think I remember looking up during the prayer and kind of going around the circle and counting all the people. And man saying, like, we got way more than three. So like, God, you're all up in this. This is this is awesome. Or or maybe you've been at a worship service or a prayer meeting, and some you know, worship leader um, used this verse to give us confidence that, you know, God's here, God's with us, because we got all these people here. Okay. But is that what this verse is really about, that promise? Because one, well, how does that interpretation of it jihaw with what, well, how does that jihaw when you're alone by yourself and you're praying to God and you don't have, you know, you don't have two or three people, does this mean that you know, God isn't with you and you need to go find some other people to pray with before God can be present in your life? Um, or what about what Jesus said about prayer? You know, Jesus taught that when you pray, he said, don't go down to the street corner and use all these flowery language and and, and talk so that everyone can hear you. But instead, go to your room, close the door, and go to the Lord in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Or what about um, this? How does this promise jive with what God seems to teach us about his presence? Because, you know, Scripture seems to teach that God is omnipresent, right? Which means that God is everywhere, all at the same time, throughout his creation. And I'll tell you, you know, what Luke read this morning. Uh, Psalm 139 sure did seem to suggest that. You know, David sure believed that God was everywhere. In fact, David said that, uh, he said, I, I, can't, I can't even get away from God even if I tried. And so, throughout Scripture, we hear God promise these things like, He promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, one of the last things that he said was, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like nowhere else throughout Scripture is there the stipulation of there needs to be two or more people there and God's going to be there with you. So if you are in Christ, here's the reality, if you are in Christ, if he is your Savior, not only is he with you always, but through the Holy Spirit, he is in you always. Okay? All right, well, if that's the case, then is there a contradiction here? <laughs> what, what is this verse about? Well, let's put it back in its context, and let's find out, shall we? So this is God's Word, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This is God's inspired and errant word. You know, to understand the promise uh, here, we've got to ask why. Right? Like me, like why why did Jesus even give this promise? I mean, mean, was he talking in the context of a Bible study or a worship service or a prayer service? No. Was he talking about when Christians get together to fellowship? No. Okay, for what specific reason was the church gathering in this verse, or God's people gathering together? Well, this promise was given in the context of what would be called church discipline. (laughs) Um, it, it's in that sacred task of going to a brother or sister who is stubbornly refusing to turn from their sin and pleading with them to repent and to come back and be restored. Jesus is saying it is in that, that if the believers agree on the gracious and loving way to handle that situation, that God is saying, I'm with you. Go for it. I'm with you in this. And so, so here, God validates the authority of the group of believers as they, well, as they approach discipline. Which, if anything, it really shows us how important this is, right? I mean, if discipline is so important to God that He gives a unique promise that applies only to this situation, that's pretty important. And since that's the case, since it's important to God, then we need to learn about it. Um, Because the church doesn't talk much about discipline today, does it? And if you do hear about discipline, chances are you typically hear about how it went wrong, and which is really kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if church discipline goes like it should, like no one's going to hear about it, right? Except for the people involved, but if, but if it goes wrong, then it blows up and everybody hears about it. It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but before we start thinking about scarlet letters and public shunning and just how mean Christians can be, we need to really dive in and see what God has to say. Right, Because as we do, I think we're going to see that discipline is a gift. That actually this is one of the most precious and beautiful graces that God has for His people. So as we talk about this promise in its context, uh, we need to see or think about two things this morning. First is just the why. Like, Like, What is the point of discipline? Why even do it? Why is this so important to Jesus? Why are we called to practice it? Because to the unbelieving world, I mean, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? Uh, and they, they may read this and say, look, look, who gives anyone the right? Who gives you the right to talk about me? Speak about my life. You know, you do you, I do me, I do my truth, you do your truth. We're all just, we'll, we'll be okay. What's that, that Casey Musgrave song? She sings, just hoe your own row and raise your own babies. Smoke your own smoke and grow your own daisies. Mend your own fences and own your own crazy. Mind your own biscuits and life will be gravy, right? I mean, that's kind of the, that's the way we approach it, right? And so it's easy to think, like, especially for the unbelieving kind of outside the church world, to hear stuff like this and be like, this is okay, this is it. I knew, I knew those Christians were up to no good. <laughs> um, this t- church discipline is just killjoy Christians. They just want to ruin all our fun and it's big brother being a pain in the rear, just checking in on us. And so, look, I'm sure it has probably been handled like that in the past, which gives it such a bad rap. But, y'all, this morning, I hope we find that like, it is the total opposite of Big Brother and Killjoy. It's the total opposite of all that. True discipline has nothing to do with tearing down or destroying. No, the fact that Jesus said this literally right after the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18 tells us that true discipline always, like it always has healing and restoration as its goal. That just as Jesus came and he, he sought us to bring us back home, back to God, so the church is called to go out to our lost and wandering sheep and, and beckon them back. And so, you know, I, I think we don't understand discipline because we so often, and I know I, I can do this, we so often forget our ultimate purpose in life. Like, why are we even here? What's the goal? And so if we've been saved by Jesus, then we no longer identif- are identified by our sin. That when God sees us, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ and God calls us forgiven and loved. And then it's out of that identity things start to happen. When that happens, you know, we've been born again, so to speak. We have a new identity. And the Scripture, or the Spirit, rather, the Spirit in us creates within us this visceral desire that is not of ourselves. It is of the Spirit to pursue holiness. You know, as Peter says, to be holy as God is holy. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Look, you, you want to know what God's will is for your life? Because we all want to know that, what, what God's will is. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, it's to become more like Christ. That's, that's the will of God for you. So last week, uh, we were hanging out with Elvin and Renzi. Elvin <laughs> um, Elvin and Renzi, and Elvin was talking about how he's been enjoying um, really just enjoying our men's gatherings that's been happening at the church. And he particularly enjoyed uh, the crawfish bowl when we got together. Um, He said that was until later that night, after the crawfish bowl. He said he itched and itched all night. He said he's probably not going to eat much crawfish anymore because it just didn't agree with him. Uh, Crawfish just don't suit him. Um, You know, if you're in Christ You know, we said last week that Jesus has said that if you are in me, then yes, we live in this world, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. The world no longer agrees with us, that it just, it doesn't suit us. And so in Galatians, Paul says, it is for freedom, talking about freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's the point, right? And that Jesus didn't set us free just for us to then go and fall back under the yoke of of our sin again. In other words, what we're finding here is we are only truly free if we are repenting and yoking ourselves to Christ, if we, we are actively killing sin in Him. And so in Christ is where freedom is found. Like it's in Him, and it's the killing of sin, like that is where human flourishing is found. But if we were honest, a lot of days we don't really like. We don't really want to pursue holiness. Um, a lot of times we fail. Oftentimes, you know, even the most faithful believers fail. You know, we we all fail. You know, um, all of us forget God's goodness. You know, all of us get just hit down by this world, and we're like, it's just too much. All of us can become apathetic and cynical and calloused. And that's why we need help pursuing holiness. You know, we need help seeing Jesus as more beautiful than our dagum sin that we just keep going back to. We need help because we can't do it ourselves. And so if if we're called to follow Christ in a life of repentance and pursuing holiness, if that's where life and freedom is found, then being unrepentant and stubborn and hard-hearted. Well, it's like it's the opposite of that. That being unrepentant is actually where death and bondage is found. And so y'all, discipline and restoring because of this is like heart attack serious. And I know that it, at this point it's tempting to say, but but preacher, that's that's what we, we pay you to do. Now you just go out there, get them lost sheep, put some discipline on them. <laughs> and I, I do hear you. Uh, and I see, hear you, and I see you. But, um, you know, the Bible also tells us all that, that we all function in a, a priestly way, that we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we are all called to one another, one another, which means uh, you, and this is like youth, adults, all of us, if we are in Christ, that you have a responsibility over God's people as well. It means that you have the privilege, the great privilege, of spurring one another on towards Christ. It means when someone is broken over their sin or they're in shame, that you can remind them that, you know what, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This means that those passages like exhort one another every day so that no one may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or that passage, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain it. That no root of bitterness springs up or causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. It means, so those passages that we typically think of kind of as the pastor or the elders, we read it with them in mind, those passages are also directed to you as a priest. And so a huge part of being in the church isn't being a consumer, um, where, you know, you, you show up on Christmas and Easter. Um, but it, it is actually taking on a priestly function. And you look around this room and you say, you know what, these are my people. And these are, these are my people. And as a priest, as a pastor, like, we, we all want to get all of our peoples, like all of our flock, we just, we just want to get them all across the river together, right? And so that's what being uh, uh, the priesthood of all believers is. We all take a priestly role in, in getting our brothers and sisters across. And so what that means is not heavy-handed, but out of genuine love, spurring one another on in their pursuit of holiness. And it, it, it is not rocket surgery, as they say. It is not complicated. It, it is those small, organic Every day, iron sharpening, iron moments. It is just simple calls to remember Jesus, to go to Jesus and be restored. So that's, that's the purpose. It is not to hang some letter on anybody and humiliate anybody. No, no, no. The, the purpose of discipline is actually to restore you. It's to heal you. It's for you to flourish. So that's the why. Which then brings us to the next question. Um, And our next point, well, how? You know, how do we do this? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us a very clear how. But even from the beginning, it's so easy to kind of get this out of of sorts. Because often, you know, someone will sin against someone else and, uh, you know, or or cause, do something that is some way, what, harmful to the peace of the church. And and often people maybe even come to me or one of our elders and they'll say, look, y'all really need to talk. To so-and-so, about X, Y, or Z. Y'all need to go talk to them. And what often happens is we'll ask them, well, have, have you talked to them yet? And they sinned against you, have, have you talked to them yet? And you know, 99% of the time, discipline, really, it's, it's private, right? It's, it's personal, it's informal, at least it should be. And so one of our questions of membership here is, do you promise to support the church in its worship, and work to the best of your ability. And so part of that work is this, right? It's that priestly work of restoration. And this isn't talking about you know, bringing down the hammer every time someone sins. Um, no, this passage is speaking of the situation where a brother or sister sins directly against you and, and doesn't come to you for forgiveness. It's just this thing kind of starts to happen between y'all. Or if, if someone is caught in a sin and is refusing to turn from it and to turn back to Christ, it, it's in those situations where Jesus says, it's unloving to sit there. It's, unli- it's unloving to sit back and watch them self-destruct deeper and deeper into sin. And so you love them enough to, to go and to, to talk with them, you know, not to tell everyone in the whole world about it, but to go to them privately. As someone said, the goal of this is to keep the, the, the circle as small as possible for as long as possible. So verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay, so you don't go on Facebook, right, and blow up everybody. If, if they listen to you and repent, um, then it's over, like it, it's over right there. It ends there, and again, if we if we would just do step number one here, and not let things fester or, or kind of gossip around town about the situation, if we would just do this, ninety nine percent of church discipline and restoration could be taken care of. So so lovingly go to your brother or sister who is in sin, and, and that also means you know if if you or if I am the one who's in sin, and someone else is coming to us, it, it means remembering the risk that our friend is taking to come and and talk to us in love. And so, I guess this is an encouragement just to receive their words humbly. Okay, but Jesus knows we don't live in a perfect world. And so sometimes, I know we've experienced it. sometimes you go to that person and they don't really respond in repentance. Maybe they don't even think they've done anything wrong. You go to that person and restoration doesn't happen well, if that happens, notice what Jesus said. <laughs> Did he say, then you can blow them up on Facebook? No. Unfortunately, Facebook is never on the table uh, on this. Um, Jesus says you expand that circle, but, but only just a bit. It, it still stays really small. You, you take one, maybe two believers who, who know the background, who know the context of what happened, who are gentle and humble Loving and, and willing to go with you to speak to the unrepentant brother or sister. You know, often having just a third party in the room, that's enough to take the edge off of defensiveness, right? And so the Old Testament, as we found it, the Old Testament required at least two or three witnesses to, uh, to establish a fact. And so this could be a way of bringing in more people to say, okay, maybe it'll open their eyes and say, okay, maybe I, I am in the wrong here. And again, lovingly, gently call them to repent and turn to Jesus. And here's the thing, if they repent, then that's the end of it right there. With that small group of people, are the only people who should ever know about this. Okay, but as mentioned, things don't always go as smoothly in this fallen world. So what happens, what happens when you go with one or two people in love, and that brother or sister still remains hard-hearted, stubborn, uh, either either they're unwilling to repent. Or they just don't consider themselves to be in sin. They just don't think it's that big a deal. Well, only then do you bring it to the church. Why? Because, in effect, the church together can say, we love you, and we want to bring you back to Christ. As David Platt said David Platt said, it shows us and them that God loves us so much that if we are ever caught in sin, he will send an entire army of believers to us as a demonstration of his mercy and love. And so at this point, in in our church anyway, the elders usually become involved. And the elders are to, in love, plead with that individual to see their sin and to turn from their sin to their Savior. And again, if, if the fruit of repentance is seen at this point, if they turn from their sin, then it's over right there. And when we need to like dance a jig and throw a prodigal party. But if they continue in stubborn, unwillful disobedience and sin, there is one final step. If, if no repentance comes from the more formal admonition from the elders or other, we call them censures, such as suspending them from the sacraments, If all attempts at restoration fall flat, then sadly and tragically, there is one last step that Jesus gives us. Um, Jesus says the only thing left to do is to consider them an unbeliever, to kind of cast them out. And I know that sounds really extreme because a lot of part about, about being the church is like, all right, we're all, we're hanging in there. It sounds extreme, especially to people who aren't believers, because they will say, look, like, dude, what's the harm? Like, isn't that doing more harm than good by kicking them out of the church and getting them further away from the church? I thought you wanted them in the church. Well, y'all, that's thinking about the church like the world thinks about the church. Because the reality is, it's one of the most toxic and unhealthy things in a church is members who have no desire to pursue holiness. Is to have members who, who don't pursue repentance and who have no desire to pursue peace to have members who refuse to submit to those who are called to care for their souls. And so if anything, it would be unloving to keep them around. It would be unloving to keep them somewhat connected and to give them this false comfort that they are still connected to a church while they aren't following Christ. And so if a mark of Jesus' followers is repentance and it's a desire to grow in holiness, then stubbornly refusing to repent and rejecting the loving rebuke of your brothers and sisters is a surefire mark of unbelief. And yet, even there, even in what we would call excommunication, just casting them out, has that, that has as its goal restoration. And, and like no one, no one will ever know the depths of God's love or be staggered by His grace until we have seen our utmost need of His grace, right? And that's true of all of us. Like we will never be blown away while we're singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, until like it has become amazing. It has become amazing in our life. And so we pray that even this last step would serve as a wake-up call. That, That like the prodigal son, who it wasn't until he was in the far country in a pig pen, until he understood how good his father was. And so like that we pray that the excommunication would ultimately send them running back, back into the arms of their Heavenly Father. Besides, isn't that our story, the story of every believer? Um, Isn't that what we see with Jesus? You know, that Jesus loved us so much that He didn't leave us in our sin, but Jesus, by His grace, He came, and He gave Himself to the point of death on the cross so that we could be reconciled. So that we could be restored, may I hope that never gets old. That if you think in, in Jesus, your heavenly Father looks at you and He actually smiles. That you were in, you were in like Flynn, like we say. And look, so I, I know this is intense, but if you have Jesus, like I mean, He's with you always. Period. Okay, we we don't have to do this old two or three thing. Like like He's He's with you. Okay. But in the meantime, just as Jesus came to restore you back to the Father, He also calls us, by His grace, to go to others. And so if you were in Him, that is what love requires of you. And, and yes, it's hard. But okay. that is why this promise is here. That is why. Because it's excruciatingly painful to get to the point where you're going to cast someone out excruciatingly painful. Like, if any pastor or elder or Christian takes pleasure in that, we can't wait to excommunicate, folks. Like, if you take pleasure in that, then one, you're probably not fit for church leadership. Or two, heck, you might not even be a believer if you take pleasure in that. I mean, it breaks your heart. And so to get to the point to where the elders or the church have to cast someone out, God promises us, because that is so painful, He promises us that in that moment, He will be with us. That in that unique situation, that we can count on His unique presence. Okay? And so Westminster, don't misunderstand this verse. This is is about God's presence to us, specifically in discipline and restoration. Okay, so other than that specific situation, if you were in Jesus Here's the promise, and here's all we need to know. Jesus is with you in this life, always. Jesus is with you in this life, always. And in the next life, you will be with him. Always. Always. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the reminder that you are ever, ever present in our lives. And even in those moments where it is really hard and really challenging, um, but in love, love requires of us to do something painful uh, with the goal of restoration happening. Um, And Lord, it's in those moments that you are particularly with us in that painful situation. So Father, uh, remind us of the reality. Uh, May you... Um, in response to your restoration of us, uh, Lord, give us a heart to go and restore others, not heavy-handed, not mean, but by grace, to go in love and to call others back. So, Father, we thank you that that's what Jesus did for us. And, Lord, may we respond to that great, great, great act of justification and calling back uh, by following the Jesus way in doing that. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.